Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, it was great to be out on the, involved in a few of the 40 Acts activities, and uh, Andy really led the way. Um, he's fairly, Andy, I hope you don't mind me saying, he's comparatively new to the church, but um, once he'd donned the free hugs t-shirt, he was out there. And uh, the, the photo you've got on the front of your magazine that, that Helen's uh, put on there, right front and center, is actually of a early 20s, late teen guy who'd sort of run across the road and launched himself at Andy um, to give him a hug at that point. His legs were off the ground and he'd wrapped them round you. The photo's taken just slightly afterwards. Um, but three of the team were concerned about his back. Someone else was concerned about a risk assessment. You know, it's one of those moments where you think, this, this was not planned. This is not how it's meant to go. We're meant to be approaching other people and, and kind of persuading them that they might want some encouragement. And instead, it was the other way around. But um, that was a good day. But lots of other things happening as well. And uh, just the record of events that took place with meals being served and um, with... Uh, a hospice being visited and a care home or a, a sheltered housing area being uh, served in so many different ways. The, the bank holiday Monday, God, if Easter feels a long time ago. I don't know what it feels like to you. We're only a week from Easter Sunday, but it seems like a long time ago because on bank holiday Monday, we were down at our south site and serving there and a number of you were involved in that and, uh, and able to be in a community center and in, in our church building as well there. And offering hope and life to the community, having fun, and uh, showing something of Jesus' love to our community. And that's so important. We want to be right in the heart of what God wants us to be doing, which means to be in the heart of our community. Uh, and that was just a week ago. And uh, you'll notice on the screen that we're launching a new uh, series today on spiritual gifts. And because I want to just track on through the story to, to pick up from Easter Sunday and then in our Bibles, the story doesn't just finish on Easter Sunday. That's not the end of, of Jesus' ministry and teaching, and it's not the end of his influence, certainly. Um, because he spends a bit of key time with his disciples after Easter Sunday. Um, even though that feels like a long time ago to us, Jesus is involved with them. And I want to look at some of the story of what happens next. So we know from Easter Sunday that Jesus appears to people, he, he rises from the dead and appears to various disciples and groups of people at different points and times. And we know that he gave out chocolate eggs and... No, no, that's, that's not the one. Um, how, how many of you eaten all your eggs, by the way? Anybody eaten them all, finished them all? Yeah, okay. Yeah, a few. How many saving them? How many, how many never got any? Oh, we'll sort something out. I'm sure we can sort something out for next year. <laughs> Jesus um, is there teaching his disciples, and he's risen from the dead. This is not a chocolate experience. This is the greatest day in history. This is the day the Messiah was proven to be who he said he was, and he's alive, and he's reigning, and he's ruling, and he's, he's risen from the dead. He's defeated death itself. This is not to be commemorated. You know, we do, but you, you know what I mean? This is an important day. And Jesus goes on to teach, the Bible tells us in the early part of the book of Acts, for 40 days. And he spends 40 days with his disciples and he's proving to them again and again that he's alive and he's teaching them things that are important to him. <coughs> Just imagine that you had 40 days with Jesus and he, was, this is, he knows this is the last 40 days he's got face to face. He's going to unpack some important things to them because they might finally get it. 
they might finally begin to understand some of these things he's been teaching about for three years. And amongst these things that he teaches them, he gives them this promise. And he says, but do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Earlier on in John's gospel, and John, remember, was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. One, he's referred to as the one Jesus loved. He loved all of them, but he's known as the beloved disciple, one that Jesus particularly seemed close to. John writes that Jesus had promised that he needed to go and that it was for their benefit that he went. That in fact, if he didn't go and, and leave them and ascend to be with the Father, he wouldn't be able to send the Spirit and they'd be worse off without that than they would be with Jesus there. He said, it's better that I go that the Spirit can come. Now, now we look at that and think that's really bizarre because if I could have 40 days with Jesus, I'd do anything for that. You know, if you could spend 40 days in Jesus' presence, you'd think, wow, that would be amazing. But Jesus says, no, 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 it's better that I go because I'm going to send you another counselor, another comforter, a paraclete, um, one who to come, one to be with you, one to remain with you, and one to be across all believers, one who can be with everyone. That's why it's better by far, because Jesus couldn't be with everyone all the time, uh, but the Spirit can. And Jesus gave lots of other promises, and the Bible takes us through in the early part of the book of Acts, gives them promises and teaching and, and unpacking, but he's saying, wait for this day. It's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. The one I've promised to you is coming. He goes on to say this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to be with his Father. Rises into heaven. And the apostles, the disciples, are left waiting. And then we read this from the book of Acts chapter 2 that they gathered together and it says on the day of Pentecost all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This is a day for the disciples that changed their world said that when Jesus rose from the dead it changed everything it changed the world but this for the disciples was the day that changed their world because suddenly God was with them in a way that they'd never known before they knew the power of God upon their lives and in them and this was the launch of the church the church that had been fearful and concerned up to this point now becomes power-filled and goes to preach and goes to, to proclaim the wonders of who Jesus is. The same Peter that denied Jesus now stands up in front of a crowd of many, many people and declares who he is. So many people are there that all those who want to repent and are baptized and 3,000, the Bible tells us, were added to the church's number that day. That's a big crowd. The Holy Spirit's work is vital, absolutely vital. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And the Holy Spirit then came and he came to dwell in and empower those disciples. But the story doesn't end there. You see, 
The Holy Spirit came to be with them, to teach them about Jesus, to remind them of his teaching, to convict people of sin and to draw them to Jesus, to give them boldness, to empower them to live, uh, to do all sorts of things, to, to bear fruit in their lives. There would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control manifest in their lives. But not just that, but also to, because of the empowering that he gave, to work out for them, to give them gifts, spiritual gifts. And that's what I want to talk about uh, over a few weeks. And these spiritual gifts are particularly mentioned in three passages in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to dip in and out of those in different weeks, but I want particularly to look at 1 Corinthians 12 today, uh, just as we start off on this series. And I'm laying a foundation today as to what these gifts are. And we're going to go in different weeks as to different aspects of it and, and how we can know what God is doing in these, in these gifts for our lives today. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, it's going to be on the screen as well. We read this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or, in, or from another spirit. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Okay, so that's going to be our key passage today. Um, so firstly, I want to just look at what are spiritual gifts? And this might be old news to some, it might be brand new to some, but we need to cover this off. What are spiritual gifts? Um, well, firstly, they're a gift. Now, how best can I illustrate this? Um, ten pounds. Anyone, anyone want ten pounds? I think Albert was the first hand. There you go. That's it. That was a gift being given. It's yours. You can do what you like with it. Um, didn't take much for Albert to get that. He understood the principle. It was a gift. Would you like this £10? Yes. That was the... And Albert was quick on the mark, wasn't he? <laughs> Albert, do you work in sales? You do. Wonderful. You know an opportunity when you see one. So watch out. When Albert's... No, don't. Uh, he's a good man. It was a very simple illustration. An expensive one, but a simple one. Um, because all Albert had to do was say yes, and he received a gift. They didn't have to do anything else. And, and sometimes we can get a little bit hung up when the, with spiritual matters. We can think that somehow we have to perform in a particular way to make God particularly happy with us to get something. Uh, it was genuinely first hand up. That was the only criteria, and, and Albert's was the first, which is why he, he got it. But actually, these gifts from the Holy Spirit, these gifts to each one of us, these gifts that God promised uh, through Jesus, when Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, you'll be, you'll be my witnesses. I want to say, firstly, they are gifts. 
They're not earned. They're not deserved. They're given as gifts. And here's just a few verses that, to reinforce that point. The Father sends you the gift he promised. Uh, and, and they began speaking other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Paul writes, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, not spiritual rewards, not spiritual wages, not spiritual earnings, not spiritual badges of honor, gifts. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. It's the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each one should have. These are gifts that are provided for by the Father through the Son sending the Spirit. And the Spirit gives these gifts to each one. It's important that we know the love of the Father and that we know he's going to give us good gifts. I I held up a £10 note a minute ago. I could have had a bag, a black bag, with a few bits in and said, how many of you would like a gift because I've got one in here? And it might be that the hands might have been a bit less sure. Uh, And I'm the same person giving those gifts, but you saw what the gift was before you, you said, yeah, I'd like it. Sometimes, if you're not sure on the person who's offering, you can be a little bit more hesitant. And some of us can have a problem with spiritual gifts and and God wanting to bless and wanting to do things for us and wanting to give us things because we're not quite sure we can trust him. Because is he going to give me something I like or not? Is God trustworthy and reliable? Is he faithful? Is he my father? And what does that image conjure up for me? And so... Just be aware of what's happening inside ourselves as we talk about spiritual gifts. They're they're not deserved. They're not built up to. They're not a reward. They're a gift. Uh, Secondly, they're a spiritual gift. Quite clearly, Jesus says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they're given an ability to speak in other languages that they've never learned. And people, this is on Acts Acts chapter 2, and as these early Christians are speaking in these other languages that they've never learned, the crowd around them hear them in their own languages praising God and they say hang on a minute how come these Galileans these people from north Israel are speaking my language it wasn't because they'd sudden they'd practiced languages as a kid it wasn't because they had a, a natural ability or affinity with languages it was because the Holy Spirit gave them that ability also we see that there are different kinds of spiritual gifts Paul writes and then finally a spiritual gift is given to each so that we can help each other We could take a poll across this room on who is naturally quite good at certain things. Some of you will be quite good at science. Some will be quite good at uh, sports. Some will be quite good at arts. Some won't feel very good at any of those things. We'll have a particular inclination or an area of expertise or an area of interest somewhere else. Uh, Judith and I last night went to another church, um, one where our son is, is working, and he invited us to go and help just support him be part of a quiz night. I'm not a great fan of quiz nights, mainly because my memory is such that I can remember stuff for a short period of time, and after that it's gone, because something else has arrived in my little brain, and it's forced out that other piece of information. Did anybody else feel like that? You know, it's what happens when you get to the top of the stairs, isn't it? You've, you kind of, you've, you've enjoyed the journey up the stairs so much that Whatever it was you wanted when you got there is just gone. I, I, I know I wanted something. So you have to retrace your steps and kind of try and recapture that moment again. Well, yeah, that's me. Anyway, there was a lady who joined our team, our little table. Um, lovely lady. Um, quite an elderly lady, but that age hadn't dulled her competitive spirit. 
And uh, I was keen to find out what her name was and if she'd been part of the church. She, she was less interested when asking me. She, she didn't really ask my name. She just asked me, are, are you good at science? Um, do you like sport? Do you, and, and, and it wasn't until a few questions had run past I thought, she's not actually interested, is she, in me? She just wants to know what's the contribution this, this fellow's going to make to my team. And so uh, we positioned her, I, I, I kind of moved off and positioned her into the middle of the table and then I sat back down again so she could be centre, right at the centre stage and make sure that she was pulling the strings, which she seemed quite happy to, to do. Um, but she was quite competitive and wanted to know uh, what my natural abilities were. When we're talking about spiritual gifts, and we'll see a list in a minute or two, we're not talking about things that you're naturally quite good at. We're talking about things that you can't do before being a Christian and, after, and having God's Holy Spirit filling your life, but that you can do afterwards. These are supernatural or spiritual in, empowerments of God. And the most profoundly challenging and helpful way I can talk this through and explain this is to look at Jesus. And this still surprises us. No matter how long you've been a Christian, I think this will still surprise you because it surprises me every time. It's a simple passage in Luke chapter 3, and it says this. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. And Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Now the key verse in all of that for what I want to say today is the last verse. The last part of that. You see, I read through the gospel stories and I read the amazing things Jesus did. And I put almost all of them into a category of special stuff that God does that I can't do. And I put them into that category because it's Jesus doing those things. Which is great because it enables me to worship him, but it's not so good because it also lets me off the hook. Because I don't have to attempt to try those things or do those things or be anything like Jesus because he's different to me because after all, he's God. But this is one of several passages which illustrates to us that actually before Jesus was baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit, he did nothing that's recorded. No miracles, no disciples, no teaching. No, he, he visited the temple as a child at 12 and debated a little bit and asked some questions. And he stayed there and his parents went home without him. That's a little insight, a little cameo story we've got, a little moment in his, his upbringing from birth through to being 30 years old. But if you like, from Christmas to Easter, the, the story really only starts with Jesus' ministry after his baptism in the Holy Spirit. Spirit, or this kind of spirit coming on him like a dove. His baptism water before then, there's nothing. And I still find that shocking. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus lived a moral life. He never sinned. But he did no ministry, no healings, no miracles. He was still God and man, but did nothing of what we associate with his. Godness until after the Holy Spirit came on him. So then, how did Jesus cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, feed 5,000, say to a woman at a well, 
when he said, bring me your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. And then he says, uh, well, that's true. You're telling the truth. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with is now isn't your husband. How did he do that stuff? Was it because he was in a special God category because he was God? I want to suggest to you that it doesn't appear to be the case. That actually Jesus did those things because he was anointed by the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that comes on us, the same Holy Spirit that came on his baptism that comes into our lives because he did none of that beforehand. And after the Holy Spirit came into his life, he started doing all of those things. He was a man empowered by the Spirit and exhibited the same gifts of the Spirit, when you think about it, that we are promised today. Healings, miracles, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, teaching, prophecy. We can go through the list, we will in a moment. That's how Jesus was enabled to, to fulfill his ministry. Because he lived in the flow of the Spirit. There is a whole load of gifts that are mentioned in these three passages in Scripture. Uh, and uh, they're, they're in, these are the, the way they're broken down. So the blue ones are in Romans Sorry, what blue ones are in Corinthians, the red ones are in Romans, the yellow ones are in Ephesians. Um, it doesn't, which is why there's a bit of overlap between them. Um, and lots of people have categorized them in different ways, but I just wanted to put them up on that list. And I think you can see that Jesus embodied all of those things, perhaps apart from tongues and interpretation, which we've got no evidence of him doing. But all the others... I think we can see that Jesus is exercising his ministry empowered by the Spirit. But why spiritual gifts? What's the point? It's, they sound okay and it sounds a bit spiritual. Well, what's the point of them? Well, all I want to say is, is on this slide on this point. Um, the Holy Spirit coming into our lives is God's empowering presence with us and with the church as a whole. And God doesn't just want us to live a life where we, where we believe certain things and repent of certain things. So we turn around and, and that's it. And it's, the rest of our lives is just grind as we earnestly and devotedly try to follow him but with no power to do so. Actually, Jesus promised that they would receive power to be his witnesses. So, so we're, we call to turn around our lives with God's help and to follow him empowered. And so we go through life empowered by God as individuals, but also as a congregation. Without the Holy Spirit, the disciples were hiding in a locked room. With the Holy Spirit, the disciples were preaching and proclaiming the word of God and thousands were responding. The time difference is only 40 days. The the dramatic difference is that the Holy Spirit has come on them and into their lives. God's power and gifts should be the hallmark of every single church. And they change and challenge our self-reliance to making us reliant on God and dependent on Him. Secondly on this bit, they build up the church. The version I've got here says so that we can help each other. Well, the NIV says to each one is given the Holy Spirit for the common good. That means that God puts his Holy Spirit on you. I'll look at Andrew. Uh, for the benefit of the people behind you, and the people next to you, and the people to the side of you, God empowers us with his Holy Spirit for the people around us. Not just for us. This is not a selfish me show where I get something special and, and isn't that great and isn't that exciting. Well, it is, but it's not for me. It's for everybody else around me. So we can see that the Holy Spirit coming is incredibly important. 
In fact, it's vital for the church. This is the birth of the church we're talking about. And the same church that spreads around the world. Thirdly, on the slide, talks about certain people that are given as gifts to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So again, it's about equipping others to serve God. Why? Why now? Why look at this now? Because I think actually now is the time for us to, to draw near to God and to say, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for us? What is it? What's my part in this great adventure? You see, God's called each and every one of us to be part of the great adventure of being part of his kingdom and what he's doing in the world. And that start, it's already started, but we've got a part to play. We've, we've heard this morning about 40 acts and what God was doing there, and that's so exciting, but that's, it's just a, a, the start of what God wants to do. There's so much more to come, and each and every one of us have a part to play. And I believe that we're called to be empowered and equipped and mobilized and released into the purpose and plan of God. And that's going to take us rediscovering what God's gifts are for us. <laughs> Thirdly, who? Who gets these spiritual gifts then? Well, who do you think? Who do you think gets these spiritual gifts? Everyone? All believers? Yeah, is it a spiritual elite? Are they reserved for a spiritual elite that you have to kind of work your way up through the ranks to one day get to this place where maybe? No. And you can see the little, it's not very easy to see on the screen, but there's a few words in bold. They're given to each of us, the first passage. And they're given to each person, the second passage. Uh, and then at the end it says, we have all been baptized into one body, one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So the principle here is that actually these gifts are available to all. They're given to all uh, for the benefit of all. A few simple things that you might come up with. Well, what if I don't feel I've got gifts? Well, number one, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit if you're not sure. Jesus said this. So if, you're, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you're not sure you've got any, just, or you're not even sure the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, and I could try and convince you from Scripture, but if you're not sure, just ask. Just come to the Father and say, please can I receive the Holy Spirit? And this passage tells us that, the, that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And if you read the rest of the passage, it, it promises us and shows us that he's not going to con us, he's not going to fob us off, he, he's not going to say, who'd like a £10 note and then pull out a receipt instead and give you that. He's not going to trick you, he's going to give you something genuine for those who are asking, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Um, secondly, what do, I f what do I do if I don't know what my gifts are? So I've asked for the Holy Spirit, I know the Holy Spirit's at work in my life, but, but I'm just not sure about the gifts I've got. I've seen the list and I'm not sure where I fit in. Well, my encouragement would be to, to sit and open your Bible and read through these coming weeks as we look at the Scriptures because my prayer and my expectation is that as we do that, you'll get a really clear and growing sense of where you fit in, of what your gifts are that God is giving you. Uh, you can do online tests. You can ask other people. But just bear in mind that all those tests you can do, a, a non-Christian person can do them just as well and come out with answers just as well as you can. 
Um, so they're not perfect. They're not going to tell you what a spiritual gift is, but they're a helpful way of just reflecting on yourself and perhaps some of the way that God's wired you. What if I've never spoken in tongues? Well, you're still loved by God. Speaking in tongues or interpreting isn't a marker of that love. It's not a marker of faith. It's not a marker of being a Christian. Some people never have because they've never been taught about it. Some never have because they've never trusted and stepped out. Some for all sorts of reasons, but they're no less loved. As far as I'm aware, Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists the 20th century ever saw, never spoke in tongues in his life. I don't think he had any lack of the Holy Spirit's work and anointing on his ministry. So whilst I hold one principle to be true as a blessing to all who are filled with the Spirit, I'm not going to say God isn't at work if I can't see that. Does that make sense? And I think we get too caught up sometimes on ruling ourselves out and and questioning God. Why, 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 why? Maybe today you're not even following Jesus yet. And you're saying, well, why would I want to build up the church? I'm not even part of it yet. Well, what I would suggest to you today is that what God is offering is a life of empowered living, a life of ongoing encounter with him, a life where actually you're empowered by the Holy Spirit day by day by day to live for him, and that's a great reason, and live with him, and that's a great reason, and live knowing him, and that's a great reason, and and live with a fullness of God's presence in your life. I remember a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago now, I'd been going to church for a few years <clears throat> and was a Christian. I'd, I'd given my life to Jesus. I was beginning to walk with him, but it wasn't until, and it was only recently I identified this, it wasn't until I went to a couple of guys in the church and said, look, what is all this about the Holy Spirit? And one of the leaders prayed with me and nothing happened that day. We just prayed, he shared the promises and absolutely nothing happened. And he said, you know what, just go and trust. Just go and trust that God's been at work. Go and worship and go and trust. And a little while later I began seeing different gifts of the Spirit, including speaking tongues, different things happening in my life. Um, But it was never radical. It was never um, the ground shaking, angels appearing, voices from heaven, never like that. But actually as I look back, from that moment, I began to be aware of God's presence in a new way. From that moment, I began to sense God speaking in a new way, or at all. From that moment, I began to sense insight into the Word of God, and I would pray differently and be aware of Him differently. So what I'm talking about, I've lived this experience. I wouldn't have said much had changed at the time, but as I look back, I can see that everything had changed. So if you want to stay as you are, don't ask for the Holy Spirit. But if you want a different experience and more of God, then do. Whatever did we do next? Well, number one, ask for the Holy Spirit. I've been leading up to this point because I think there's some stuff that we probably need to do. You see, for many of us, this is not a new message. But I still read the Gospels and the book of Acts and I still see more stuff happening than I'm seeing in my own life. And if I'm honest, I I love this church. But I see more stuff in here than I'm seeing in our lives too. Do you see that too? 
And, and I'm, I'm, it's not envy or greed. I'm, I'm not covetous for, for things other people have, but I just want God to do more amongst us. And I'm concerned that we don't see that sometimes. Now, I think there's a, a bit of a shift that has to happen, a turnaround that has to happen, probably in, in here and probably in here, in my life, I just want to unpack a little bit of this for a moment and, and just share, because it may be you too. Maybe there's several of us, or maybe there's a group of us, or maybe it's all of us that just have been affected by things over the years, and, and we just need to do a little shift. I read this little passage that says, how can I tell if unbelief is affecting God's work in my life? I'm, I'm going to re- look down when I read this, okay? But you can identify if you want to with any of these. I find myself disappointed and let down by God when he doesn't seem to work or answer my prayers as I believe he should. If that applies to you, don't, don't start thinking about others, but just if that applies to you, just go, oh, that's interesting. Uh, When I hear of others' experience of God's presence or power, my default response is cynical, and I often try to analyze, minimize, or disprove their claim. Number three, others call me critical, but I feel that they are naive and that I am discerning. Number four, I first perceive situations as impossible rather than possible with God. I think we're number six now. Prayer is usually a last resort for me. Number seven, I doubt that God speaks to others as they claim because he doesn't speak to me in that way. Another one, I'm reluctant to receive prayer because it hasn't worked before. Another one, I think my situation, my sins, my fears, my fill-in-the-blank will never change. Nearly there. I have a tendency to worry and have anxiety and fear about many things. And the last one, I often control people and situations because I'm afraid to let go and trust God even when I know I should. I'm sure there's a whole load more that we could add to that. Um, And you may think, oh, I don't don't understand why those are on the list. But it may just be that unbelief about what God wants to do is affecting us receiving from God. Another thing that might uh, get in the way is, is stifling or quenching what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Paul writes this, do not stifle the Holy Spirit, do not scoff at prophecies, uh, but test everything that's said. Hold to what's good and stay away from every kind of evil. NIV says, do, don't, do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what's good, reject every kind of evil. In that passage, Paul's saying to us, look, you can actually stop, quench, stifle the Holy Spirit's work. Don't. Don't do it. This is the same man that writes to the Corinthian church and tells them when you've got people prophesying only have three or two and you should test what's said and you should be careful of what's said and weigh it and if someone's got a revelation the person who's speaking already should sit down and wait and, and, and finish and the person should speak and it's very ordered very disciplined and he says you shouldn't all come babbling away in tongues do that at home paraphrasing Two or three should speak and there should be an interpretation. So he's giving order and, 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 and structure. And sometimes we can go, oh, that's nice. But we, we kind of work, end up loving the structure and missing the point that that's, that's a chaotic environment and he's putting structure in. 
to, to the Thessalonians, he's saying, don't squash it. Let the Spirit flow. And so we need some kind of structure and some kind of framework, but not one that stops the Spirit breathing and flowing and moving through. And at times we can quench the Spirit. We can stop the Spirit moving by all sorts of different things. I've just got a few that I put in my notes. Sometimes we, and I think we, we, if this is us, if this is you, then I think we need to repent. And what I mean by that is turn around and walk the other way. It, it may be that we need to repent from stopping God doing what he wants to. It, it may be that we need to repent of judging other people for their gifts that we don't have or for their expression of their gifts that we don't like. It may be that that's the case. It may be that we need to repent of fear, a desire to remain in control, that actually we want to be in control and containing. Just, I think what's happening right now is that people who've carried this sense prophetically are just identifying with it in the room. So don't panic. I think it's an identification, a witness going on. So I think these people, are f- they're fine. But they're just identifying, going, ah, yeah, I sense something of that, okay? I think at times we may need to turn around from focusing on ourselves. And, and I've got this in two categories. And it's around, will I look good? Will I look okay? Sometimes I've been aware that I've wanted to look at certain things, and I'm sure this applies to you. Maybe you want to look, I've got two categories you can choose from, more spiritual or more sensible. And I think either can need repenting from. Let me just be really clear. At times, I think we've wanted to look more sensible and not be like those people that respond in a certain way. And we've distanced ourselves from others. And I think we might need to repent of that. Equally, it may be that there's a a kind of spiritual, a desire to look more spiritual. And we've wanted to align ourselves with those who do look like that because we haven't wanted to look boring. and We've wanted to look more spiritual. You see what I mean? Whenever we're viewing the work of God through what I'll look like, we're in a difficult place and a dangerous place. We want to see God coming and God having his way amongst us regardless of what we'll look like, whether we'll look more spiritual or more sensible or somewhere in between. Similarly, the need to be in with the right crowd. It's very easy to want to associate with certain people because of what they're for or what they're against. And in either category, we can end up putting a block on what the Spirit wants to do in our lives as individuals. Don't don't categorize people as being for or against and therefore align yourself with them. Seek after Jesus and say, God, what would you have me do? Keep seeking after him and saying, what would you have me do? I think we... It's easy to get hurt at different points and and I'm sure through church history that's been the case where people align with different groups and things are said and words are said and, and you end up carrying hurt. And we distance ourselves sometimes from 
from people who've stood against the things of God, the Spirit moving, and we say, I don't want anything to do with that or those people. And I think we quench the Spirit. Or equally, we can be against those who've seen something that they're saying is of God. And we can say, I don't want anything of that. And I think we quench the Spirit. I don't want to fit into either of those camps. But I want today, us as a congregation, to be seeking God and saying, whatever you have for us, Lord, did you send it? Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Because I'm going, you can do greater things. Now, I find that mind-blowing because as I said about 20 minutes ago, I read my gospel stories and I look at Jesus and I say, how, how can I? How can we do greater things than that? Because we're filled with the Spirit. My prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would come in new way, with new measure, and do whatever He wants to amongst us. That that would look like whatever He wants it to look like. And that we would receive and have confidence in the gifts that He wants to give. They're written out for us in Scripture. I think we can trust Him today that He's going to give us good gifts. And I'd like us to pray that God would come in new way among us. Can we have the band back on the stage, please? Let's just pause for a moment. I've got no appeal, no formal response. I think we actually need a personal response today. And whilst I want to lead us all, I know I need to respond for myself. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you love us, that we can trust you because you are good and you are God and you give good gifts. And when you promised the Holy Spirit to your church, you said that it would be better for them than having Jesus with them and still we find that unusual but we trust you we say Lord we want more of your presence in our lives we want more of you in this place more of you at work amongst us we pray Lord that if we have quenched what you want to do in our lives you would forgive us and we turn around from putting roadblocks up at various points, either to protect ourselves from whatever, or to defend ourselves, or because we don't feel safe, or whatever it may be. We repent of that and say, Lord, we, we choose to trust you again. To trust you rather than doubting. To rely on you rather than questioning. Lord, 
And Lord, I pray that we may see the work of God coming in new measure here in this place. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come into our lives. You've promised to give your spirit. You've promised to give gifts. Not for us, but so that we might live an empowered life called by you. And I pray, Lord, that you would come. We say, come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, have your way in our lives. Come do your thing. May we be known by you. May we know you. May we be less worried about our reputation with others and seek to see your kingdom come in this day, in this place, in this town. Lord, we long to see families reunited. We long to see the orphaned homed. We long to see those who are destitute put on their feet again and clothed, as it were, in robes of righteousness. We long to see those who feel ostracized from the things of God brought close. We long to see those who feel that they have no hope, knowing you, knowing salvation, knowing freedom. And we know, Lord, we don't have the power to achieve those things. But we thank you that you do. And we pray you'd come and you'd move, that this town might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.